0: Chapter 1 of Christmas Under Three Flags. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Christmas Under Three Flags. Being memories of holiday festivities in the White House with Old Hickory, in the palace of His Royal Highness Prince of Prussia, afterwards Emperor William I, and at the Alamo with the Alcalde's daughter by mary emily donelson wilcox chapter one santa claus at the white house in old hickory's day through the mist of years i recall a merry christmas in my childhood's home long ago and sweeter than music across still waters come memories of the blessed influences voicing in that historic mansion on that memorable occasion the glad tidings from bethlehem peace on earth good will towards men The White House, always an ideal domestic center, was, during President Jackson's occupancy, the model American home—love, kindness, and charity guarding it like sentries; happiness and content overshadowing it like angel wings. Known to the world as the man whose iron will and fierce, ungovernable temper defied opposition and courted antagonism, he was the gentlest, tenderest, most patient of men at his own fireside his household included the families of his adopted son and private secretary and mrs donelson and mrs jackson handsome accomplished refined major donelson and mr jackson brave cultured public-spirited ably assisted him in discharging his high duties and by their tact and grace obtained for his administration its unequaled social prestige loving, enjoying children as childless old people often do, and never so happy as when giving happiness to others, he made life for us little ones, Donaldson's four, Jackson's two, clustering around his knee as around a doting grandfather's, well worth living. Among the many bright incidents associated with the special Christmas so pleasantly remembered today were an East Room frolic and an unforgettable visit from Santa Claus the invitations for the former which was probably the most enjoyable and successful juvenile fate ever given at the national capital read the children of president jackson's family request you to join them on christmas day at four o'clock p m in a frolic in the east room washington december nineteenth eighteen thirty five delivering them receiving the acceptances there were few regrets selecting the games to be played and arranging other matters relating thereto proved inexhaustible sources of fun subordinate only to curiosity as to santa claus and his mysterious movements his generosity on former occasions tempted us to expect great results from his next visit and wondering whether he would come if so what he would bring us and how he looked and where he lived we questioned the house-servants and attendants with whom we were privileged pets and among whom were some most interesting personalities their answers however unlike the enchanted oracle in fairy lore neither removing doubt nor confirming hope Mammy, a large, handsome mulatto, saucy and good-natured, fussy and domineering, as nursery autocrats generally are, and whom we both loved and feared, said, "'I wish to goodness you children would stop talking about old Cindy Claus. I'd laugh if, tired of roaming round nights, filling stockings, he'd stay at home and roast chestnuts by his own fire.' Jimmy O'Neill, our favourite usher and a typical son of Aaron, said, "'I could tell you lots about St. Patrick.' but mighty little about cindy claus i think however he and i must look alike for mammy always says when i make her a present go away jimmy you're as big a fool as cindy claus always giving people things we shook our heads no no jimmy you are thin as a rail have black scraggly hair a long sharp nose and no beard and everybody knows santa claus to be fat squatty with a red face long white beard and wearing a baggy coat crammed with toys and goodies Vivart, the French cook whose toothsome sweets invested him with great importance in our hungry eyes, and whom we waylaid on his morning visit to my mother, said, "'I no acquaint with Monsieur Santa Claus. He no live in Paris. In my beautiful France, across the blue sea, les petits enfants never ask questions, speak only when spoken to, then with modest curtsies and downcast eyes. "'Aha!' chuckled Mammy. "'Mr. Vivart gives you a lesson in manners.' hans the german gardener whose stories about rhine castles and black forest witches and fairies were even more relished than the fruit and flowers he brought upstairs every morning said i'm sure Chris kringle will come he might forget some children but not white house ones though i think it's strange he does not hang his pretty things on a green tree instead of stuffing them in ugly stockings how i wish you could see the beautiful trees which the boys and girls in germany trim and light on christmas eve and where they gather to sing songs play games and exchange presents heaven seems very near at those times your german trees may be lovely hans said carita a mexican embroideress occasionally employed by my mother but they can't compare with the fancy lamps which the rio grandinitos hang on poles and bushes near their homes on christmas eve and beneath which they find the next morning the beautiful gifts left for them by the infant jesus on his way from heaven to the virgin's arms she often told us stories descriptive of mexican customs and had just commenced one about the alcalde's daughter when mammy called us to put on our wraps to go riding with the president who wished us to meet him at the front door something like the divinity that doth hedge a king invested him in our eyes and always granting often anticipating his wishes we never dared oppose or disobey his orders. While waiting, George the coachman told us of some bad children, who found in their Christmas stockings a bundle of peach-tree switches wrapped in paper labelled, to be applied when spanking has proved insufficient, and said he hoped we would fare better. Now we had on several occasions come in close contact with peach-tree switches, but we did not thank George for reminding us of the stinging experiences." "'To the orphan asylum,' said the President on entering the carriage, in which were several packages, and up in front was a basket of good things. He often drove there, taking me, cousin Rachel, his adopted son's daughter and the apple of his eye, and John along. It was at that time a small, modest structure, with a limited number of patients, but its foundress, Mrs. Van Ness, had secured for it some influential patrons, among whom President Jackson, to whom all orphans were objects of tender solicitude, was not the least zealous. The following conversation enlivened the ride. John. Uncle? The name affectionately applied to him by his wife's nieces and nephews. Did you ever see Santa Claus? The President, eyeing John curiously over his spectacles, no, my boy, I never did. John, Mammy thinks he'll not come to-night. Did you ever know him to behave that way? The President, we can only wait and see. I once knew a little boy who not only never heard of Christmas or Santa Claus, but never had a toy in his life, and after the death of his mother, a pure, saintly woman, had neither home nor friends. Chorus of Children, poor little fellow, had he come to the white house we would have shared our playthings with him the children quick to detect emotion felt that some sad memory stirred the old man's heart though we little suspected he was referring to his own desolate childhood the president after some moments silence the best way to secure happiness is to bestow it on others and we will begin our holiday by remembering the little ones who have no mothers or fathers to brighten life for them to the sweet-faced matron who welcomed us he said here i am with some christmas cheer for your young charges the children gathered in the reception-room and it was gratifying to see their faces light up as greeting each one he distributed his gifts and even more gratifying was it to note his pleasure at their grateful surprise raising in his arms a crippled boy who replied to his inquiry better general but oh so tired he gave him a jumping-jack saying let's see how this works and the delighted child cried ain't that cute hopping up and down just like an organ-grinder's monkey the day warm and bright was more like may than december the parks then only grassy commons shaded by native trees were still green and the roses in the grounds adjoining all buildings were still in full bloom returning home we called at several houses to leave christmas souvenirs sent by my mother and mrs jackson a package of snuff for mrs madison then visiting washington relatives a hand-painted mirror for mr van buren who was reputed to be on very good terms with his looking-glass and some embroidered handkerchiefs carita's handiwork for intimate friends during president jackson's incumbency the white house family children included except on state occasions met at meal time breakfast being at eight o'clock dinner at two and supper at half past six mrs donaldson sat at the head of the table the president at the foot we stood at our chairs until he asked a blessing and at the close of meals were excused by a signal smile or gesture from my mother always serving the children first saying they have better appetites less patience and should not be required to wait until their elders are helped he encouraged us to talk and ask questions evidently enjoying our remarks he often rose early and went with us to jackson now lafayette square for a game of mumble peg and occasionally when supposed to be wrestling with state problems hurling anathemas at Clay, Biddle, Adams, and other opponents, he might have been found in our playroom soothing some childish grievance or joining in some impromptu romp. After supper we began preparations for the all-important, eagerly anticipated event, hanging up our stockings. Uncle had invited us, overruling my mother's protest that we might disturb him, to use his room, and thither we merrily trooped, he leading and apparently deeply interested— my brothers Jackson and John, cousin Rachel and I borrowed Mammy's stockings, which, as she tipped the beam at two hundred, were as capacious as the Galilee fishermen's nets she often referred to. Cousin Rachel and brother Jackson hung theirs to side-hooks on the mantel, I mine to the fancy hearth-broom, and John, who was a born artist, his to a boot-jack carelessly left on Uncle's green-leather armchair two smaller stockings for the babies my little sister and young cousin dangled from curtain rings at the foot of the bed in the centre of a large airy handsomely furnished room stood a writing-table at which the president and his private secretary often sat until the wee small hours discussing state matters and examining documents relating to them amid the papers promiscuously piled up thereon was an old testament that had belonged to his mother his wife's bible and a frame holding her miniature surveying with delight the room after we had disposed of our stockings we declared it reminded us of the masonic bazaar being held which we had attended then brother jackson had a bright idea why not hang up a stocking for uncle and running to the bureau he took a sock from the bottom drawer tied it to the tongs and cried now let's see how santa claus will treat you mr uncle jackson president of all these united states Surprised and amazed, the old man said, well, well, to think I've waited nearly seventy years to hang up a Christmas stocking. Better late than never, added Brother Jackson. We begged to be allowed to sit up to see Santa Claus come down the chimney and pass through the fire without scorching his bundles, declaring we were not sleepy, and promising never to be naughty again. Then when Mammy hustled us off Nolan's Volans to bed, we vowed we'd lie awake all night, and still protesting sank into tired childhood's dreamless slumber about daybreak. Mammy's shrill voice calling "Christmas gift, you sleepy heads" awoke us, and amazed, indignant to find we had slept soundly after all, we sprang from bed and darted in our bare feet, unheeding her cries, "Wait till you're dressed, you'll catch your death of cold across the hall to Uncle's room, and asked, "Did Santa Claus come?" See for yourselves, said he, opening his door. He was up and dressed, had a bright fire, and watched us tenderly as rushing in we seized our stockings, each one, his included, being well filled, and beneath them the presents we specially desired. For him, a cob pipe, pair of warm slippers, and tobacco bag. For brother Jackson, then eight years old and very mannish, talking grandly about shooting on the fly and jumping the hurdle, a small gun saddle and bridle for john a hobby-horse and drum for me and cousin rachel a doll and tea-set each and for the babies toy rattles delighted we voted santa claus to be the nicest old fellow in the world had we known our real benefactor we would have felt some disappointment dearly as we loved him for the occult has indescribable fascination for children who though grasping loving to hoard and accumulate find in the mystery surrounding santa claus a charm surpassing even his bounty see a child spring from his bed early christmas morning grasp and examine its stocking finding in it long-coveted unlooked-for treasures meanwhile imagining the fat white-bearded old man crossing like puss in boots hill and dale sea and lake to bring it presents bending perchance over its sleeping form to imprint a kiss, then slipping away without waiting to be thanked, can human fancy picture a more entrancing scene, when in after-years does any moment yield more unalloyed bliss. Mammy, often provoking with her strict notions of nursery discipline, outdid herself that morning, for though we implored her to let us empty our stockings just to see if that lump in the toe was a dime or quarter, she barbarously put them away, and rubbing, scrubbing, combing, curling as if for dear life's sake, dressed us for breakfast. Below stairs the halls, dining and sitting-rooms decorated with cedar and holly, the vases filled with flowers on tables and mantels, and huge logs blazing on the hearths, made a cheery, comforting scene. Though President Jackson had not for years used any intoxicants, a bowl of foaming eggnog graced the sideboard and on tables near were presents for each member of the household mrs Donaldson occupied while mistress of the white house the second-story corner room facing pennsylvania avenue using the one back of it as a nursery in the former three of her children mary myself john and rachel credited at the time with being the first births in the executive mansion were born her eldest child jackson having been born in tennessee the president's adopted son and daughter occupied the two adjoining rooms and he the central one now known as the prince of wales room because used by his royal highness when president buchanan's guest in eighteen sixty the playroom, belonging to-day to the official suite was near the president's his bed a high four-poster carved mahogany with tester and heavy damask curtains was reached by carpeted steps which we children dearly love to scamper up and down When ill, we often carried him his meals. He reciprocated the attention when we were confined in bed. Suffering from painful respiration, he slept propped up by high pillows. Opposite his bed hung his wife's portrait with pictures of the two Rachels on either side. A standing breakfast question being, Which Rachel did you look at first this morning, uncle? The lucky one being the morning bell the author and sharer of most of our pleasures, he often shielded us from punishment when naughty, and my mother, once bewailing his overindulgence, quoted the Bible, Spare the rod and spoil the child. But he replied, I think, Emily, with all due deference to the good book, that love and patience are better disciplinarians than rods. Traveling, he generally took along a box of silver half-dollars for his namesakes, then both numerous and ubiquitous saying to their mothers, Baby can cut teeth on my gift now, later show him his country's eagle thereon and teach him to love and honour it. We were permitted to spend the morning, and a blissful one it proved, in the playroom, where uncle, cousins Sarah and Andrew, my mother and father, and some playmates joined us and helped us unload our stockings, finding in each a silver quarter, fruit, candy, cakes, and nuts many friends remembered us white house children then as now exciting much public interest many of cousin rachel's presents were beautiful and two of mine were so unique and pleasure-giving that after all these sad years they still loom up shining milestones in childhood's sunny way madame Sourier of the french legation sent me a boy doll wearing the red brass-button jacket grey gold-striped pants plumed chapeau spurs and sabre worn by french postilions my godfather the vice-president sent me a miniature cooking-stove with spirit-lamp ready to light i had had many handsome dolls but never a boy doll before and like other foolish mothers welcoming a son after a succession of disappointing daughters i clasped him in my arms and crowned him lord and master of my heart wherever i went for some weeks someone would ask mary how's your boy lighting the lamp in the toy stove we boiled water in the tiny kettle and popped corn in the oven shouting gleefully when the kettle sang and the corn executed its staccato dance occasionally giving us a hot smack on the face or hands the etiquette forbidding ladies presiding over executive mansions from receiving or returning social calls was either non est or disregarded at that time for mrs donaldson who was many years the junior of any of her predecessors or successors and who had that love of pleasure and desire to please natural to young attractive women, had a large visiting list, including most of the ladies prominent in social and official circles. Among her intimates were Mrs. McComb, Mrs. R. E. Lee from Arlington, Mrs. Reeves, Mrs. Blair, Miss Lizzie Blair, Mrs. Watson, and her daughters Mrs. Cora Livingston and Rebecca McLean miss livingston who was my godmother and mother's dearest friend was for many years the acknowledged belle of washington many distinguished authors paying homage in familiar writings to her rare tact and personal charm and imparting to her social triumphs traditionary interest not the least of that happy day's diversions was making our toilettes for the afternoon fete and it was amusing to see the high and mighty airs mammy assumed on the occasion Changing a bow here, supplying a pin there, arranging plates, ruffles, and puffs, then when she had finished dressing us, surveying her work as an artist might a completed chef d'oeuvre. We wore the costumes presented to us by our parents as Christmas gifts. Cousin Rachel, who was pretty and graceful, a pink cashmere; I, a blue one. We both wore silk clock stockings with kid slippers. John was gorgeous in a Highland plaid suit and brother jackson who was tall erect and handsome gave promise in a brass-button jacket of the gallant officer he afterwards became miss cora livingston who kindly volunteered to chaperone the frolic came about four and led the way to the east room which was tastefully decorated with evergreens and flowering plants our guests arrived promptly and meeting them at the door we kissed the girls and shook hands with the boys the former wore light colours the latter their smartest suits all making a brave showing though there were no elaborate costumes styled worth confections and suggesting parisian ballet dancers like those seen nowadays at juvenile gatherings among our guests were the woodbury blake jones lee macomb carroll graham turnbull pleasanton tawney corcoran peters and hobby children with all of whom we were well acquainted, having dancing school, Sunday school, picnic and playroom associations in common. A few older guests, Mrs. Madison bringing her grandniece Addie Cutts, Mrs. Lee with Little Custis, Baroness Crudner, S. Huygens and serrier and Sir Edward Vaughan, joined the President and members of his family in the Red Room, and served as spectators of a novel and delightful entertainment we played blind man's buff hide and seek puss in the corner and several juvenile forfeit games all entered into with zest and thoroughly enjoyed the east room proving an ideal playground and the players free and unrestrained as if on a texas prairie romping scampering shouting laughing in all the exuberance of childish merrymaking. mr van buren and miss cora joined in rather led the games and added greatly to their success. Several amusing incidents varied their usual routine. In hide-and-seek, the switch, after numerous hot and cold signals, was discovered in a boy's jacket pocket, where a mischievous girl had slipped it, and in Puss in the Corner, Willie M., provoked with Jenny T. for eluding his grasp, called out, You are no pussy but a slippery old cat, washington gossips accused mrs Donaldson of heading a conspiracy to make a match between the vice-president and miss cora but as she married a mr barton some years later and as he never gave his children a stepmother those gossips evidently aired then as they occasionally do to-day the failure to catch them together beneath the mistletoe bough suspended from the central east room chandelier was probably the only disappointment of the evening all hoping that such a conjunction might have auspicious results. Mr. Van Buren, having incurred a penalty in a forfeit game, was sentenced to stand on one leg and say, "'Here I stand, all ragged and dirty. If you don't come kiss me, I'll run like a turkey.' And, no kiss being volunteered, he strutted like a game gobbler across the room amid peals of laughter. With one exception, the penalties incurred by the children were bravely paid. Little Mary, known to have a sweet voice, when sentenced to sing a paper of pens, hung her head shyly, whispering, I'd rather dance than sing. Then when led out to dance, she burst out crying, sobbing, I don't want to sing or dance, please let me alone. And Miss Cora, taking her on her lap, said, All right, Mary, I'll pay your forfeit, and sang very sweetly oh i will give you a paper of pens for that is the way that love begins if you will marry 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 me about six o'clock the dining-room was opened displaying a picture of surpassing beauty one that the four seasons and field forest and lake had united in embellishing the band stationed in the corridor struck up the president's march and Miss Cora, forming us in line, the younger couples leading, marshalled us into supper. The scene of many historic banquets commemorating great events and shared by worldwide celebrities, that famous room never witnessed one in which the decorator's art, or the confectioner's skill, achieved greater triumphs. Vivart, hailed as Napoleon of Cook's, master chef de cuisine, wizard, magician, receiving hearty congratulations on all sides in the centre of a maltese cross-shaped table towered a pyramid of snowballs interspersed with coloured icicles and surmounted by a gilt gamecock head erect wings outspread at the upright ends of the cross were dishes of frozen marvels at the top one representing iced fruits oranges apples pears peaches grapes at the bottom one representing iced vegetables corn carrots beans squashes at one transverse end was a tiny frosted pine-tree beneath which huddled a group of toy animals at the other a miniature reindeer stood in a plateau of water in which disported a number of goldfish there were candies cakes confections of every conceivable design delicious viands relishes and beverages though almost transfixed with admiring delight we did ample justice to the tempting repast and eagerly accepted the lovely ornaments given us as souvenirs after supper the central pyramid was demolished and the snowballs which were made of non-combustible starch coated cotton each one enclosing a french pop kiss were distributed to us and we were invited to play snowball in the east room an invitation the more joyfully hailed because the winter having been exceptionally mild we had been debarred our usual snowball games the balls striking exploded and for some moments the east room was the scene of an exciting snow flurry with the startling addition of the thunder and lightning characteristic of summer storms the president mrs madison and other elderly guests who had watched the game from the southern end of the room heartily sharing and enjoying the children's merriment were spared But the players pelting each other unmercifully looked like snow-entrapped wayfarers it was great fun to see them dodging the balls and to hear them scream when struck though the balls being soft and light caused no bruises and inflicted no damage on clothes or furniture the game exhilarating and inspiring was provokingly brief the supply of snowballs being soon exhausted then the escort sent for the children having arrived "'Miss Cora, giving us quietly some instructions, "'reformed us in line as at supper. "'The band played a lively air, "'and we marched several times around the room. "'The last time, bowing to the group at the upper end, "'we paused before the President, "'and kissing our hands to him, said, "'Good-night, General,' he smiling and bowing in return. "'What a beautiful sight,' said Mrs. Madison. "'It reminds me of the fairy procession in Midsummer Night's Dream.' it recalls to me madam said the president our divine master's words suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of heaven End of chapter one santa claus at the white house in old hickory's day recording by philip gould